Welcome to the Horsewise Podcast with Lynn Reardon, where we share stories of horses and people and what they teach each other. In today's episode, I discuss the concept of learned helplessness and how it can really hold back both a horse and the rider who's working with him. I hope you enjoy the show and have a wonderful day. Today, I'd like to talk to you about the concept of learned helplessness, which is something that you hear a fair amount about in certain horsemanship circles and sometimes even in certain psychologist uh, circles as well. And uh, to me, what learned helplessness means is in the case of a horse, that the horse has shut down in some ways and is sort of in its own cocoon where when you ask that horse to do something new or to do something that is in a sense outside its comfort zone, it has a reaction that is very emotional and is very, in a way, I guess you could say almost uh, phobic about trying, just even trying the littlest bit. And uh, for those of you who follow the same kind of horsemanship that I do, the Dorrance School, you know that one of the principles of that horsemanship philosophy is that you reward the horse for the slightest try, that you really see that and perceive that where a horse is making a key effort, even in a very, very small way, and you immediately reward and release that so that the horse knows that he's searching in the right direction. Uh, The philosophy also really wants the horse to make choices, to search for the right things rather than simply being told what to do and not having any real sense of participation in the maneuver. So that's really one of the things that distinguishes the Dorrance School of Horsemanship, which again is mostly broad principles. It's not like it's certain specific techniques or a certain outfit you have to wear in order to be following the Dorrance School. It's more of a reality-based horsemanship approach that speaks to the nature of the horse and how the horse thinks and processes things, as well as how the horse moves physically. So as always, the best way that I like to illustrate a principle or a topic on the podcast is to relate a story that I I saw as something that I witnessed that was a classic example of learned helplessness. And it was many years ago, the horse involved was a war horse. Uh, Those of you who know me through my work with racehorse adoption know that I have a real soft spot for war horses. War horses are racehorses who run at a later age at the track. They're still running at age 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, even 12 years old. And uh, they have many races under their belt. They've usually won a lot of money. And when they come off the track, they are in some ways not as commercially attractive because Most people assume, well, they only know how to do one thing, which is to run and, you know, that's it. And another thing is that they often might have old accumulated sports injuries. You know, again, it's kind of like a 60-year-old quarterback. When that quarterback retires, he's probably not going to have perfect knees to keep quarterbacking, but he still can do a lot of other things. But most people who are in the retrain and resell business in the horse world aren't interested in 60-year-old quarterbacks as their prospects for show owners or show uh, riders. So anyway, this horse, we're going to say his name was Willie. Uh, Willie was a big bay horse, uh, ran many, many years, won a lot of money, a very cool horse, very intelligent, but definitely quirky. Um, I had spoken with some of the people who had trained him and had galloped him at the track and they were like, oh yeah, he's a great guy. He's a little quirky. He's kind of got his own opinions about things. And uh, Willie was being ridden by 
just a top horseman, uh, somebody that I think is probably one of the best I've ever seen. This person also teaches. He's a really good teacher. He does clinics and he also is just all around a horseman. And he was working with this horse, kind of getting him restarted under saddle, introducing him to some things because Willie had had some tension, obviously, with this whole idea about work. To Willie, work meant run really hard at the track, maybe be a little bit troubled and be a bit pushy all at the same time. And so the teacher really helped him. He had done a couple of sessions with him over the weekend, and it was just going really well. Uh, because of the timing of this teacher and how well he understood horses, Willie responded to him just tremendously. And all was going well until they decided to leave the arena. And the teacher kind of steered Willie over to the gate and went to open the gate. And Willie went, oh, no way. I'm not, I'm not dealing with that. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that that Willie was bucking or rearing or trying to run away or was really trying to take over. He just basically was like, no, I, I just can't handle that. And he started to sweat and to kind of jig and jog. And he couldn't really even, in some respects, even hear what the teacher was asking him to do. And, and it was very interesting to me how the teacher responded. He did not uh, get after the horse. He wasn't like, oh, this horse is being disobedient. He basically said, hey, this horse has learned not to try. He's learned that it's safer not to try in his mind. He's thinking that it's not going to be worth his while to try. So he sort of sealed himself up in this little bubble. And anything that threatens to sort of intrude on that bubble, the horse is reacting almost as if someone is threatening him. So, but of course, that's not what the teacher was asking him to do. The teacher was just asking him essentially to side pass a couple of steps, to trust the teacher while he opened the gate from, from the saddle, and to just listen and wait, wait on the teacher to help him. Because the teacher was more than willing to slow it way down, break it way down for Willie. But Willie was basically like somebody who in that moment was scared of spiders and there wasn't even a spider around, but he thought something looked like a spider and he was like, ah, I cannot handle this. I can't handle this. And in that moment, if you just sort of were to dismount or kind of steer him away and go do something else, you would really be reinforcing the phobia, so to speak. And I'm not saying that the horse was phobic about a gate. I'm just saying that he had a response to going outside his comfort zone that was almost phobic in nature. And he was pretty committed to that. He really felt like in some respects that he was maybe going to get injured or die if, if he had to side pass a step over or two. Again, very different from a horse that was simply ignoring aids or trying to take over. He was, he was really trying in some respects to at least stay courteous, but essentially his emotions overwhelmed him. He had learned not to try. He had learned to stay helpless and his emotions were out of control to what was being requested of him. And the teacher worked with him for about, I think it was maybe a half an hour. And he would just very steadily sort of block when the horse tried to leave. He would direct his feet in a way that would get him closer to the goal. And he basically, he never stopped asking, but he never argued with the horse and he never went away either in the sense that the teacher was like, oh, forget about it. Let's try something else. He was very patient with this horse. And the horse at this point had worked himself up 
into almost a lather. And again, this was not physically strenuous. <laughs> the teacher wasn't like berating the horse or whipping him or trying to ride him down or anything. This horse was just so emotionally agitated that he was exhausting himself. I think we've all known people like that who are kind of high stress people and they absolutely kind of trash themselves completely by just doing something pretty basic. So he was basically having that, that response. But slowly, steadily, the teacher helped that horse understand that all he wanted was for him to try, to try to take a step in this direction, to pause for a minute, to think as the teacher just asked that horse to wait, to wait on him. And sure enough, after about a half hour or so, you could see that horse mentally realizing that it wasn't that big a deal that was being asked of him only to try. And he, he did try. He made those careful little steps. He really tried to wait on the teacher, trust the teacher. And at that point, the teacher was like, that's it. He's, he's done enough for the day and he did really well. And I'm proud of this horse. I'm proud of this horse for what he put into that. And, uh, and that changed that horse. I, I had an opportunity to kind of watch that horse's career from that point on. And the horse really, something in that horse changed forever that day. Again, not because he was treated roughly or was forced to learn something, but because the teacher was so patient and helped him out of that cocoon, that cocoon of learned helplessness. Teacher never once was impatient or upset with the horse for not complying with what he asked. He just waited. He set it up so that horse could discover it. And when the horse learned it, that all he needed to do was try, the horse really truly learned it for himself. He wasn't forced to just do something. And that's what made all the difference. Most of the time when a horse has developed the habit of learned helplessness, it's because of something that has happened in his training career. Again, most people aren't trying to be cruel. I'm not suggesting that at all. But some horses really, uh, they really take it to heart that all they're supposed to do is one thing and one thing only. And they don't get used to sort of thinking for themselves, which I, I think is always preferable. If I'm going to be doing a job with my horse, even if it's just walk, trot, canter around the arena, I'd like the horse to be part of that. I would like that horse to be working with me. I would like us to be sort of a team unit rather than I, I touch his side a certain way and he automatically canters because that's the cue. I want him to be thinking and aware. And there are some training disciplines, and sometimes this also comes from wanting a certain kind of performance from your horse in a show pen or whatever, where people kind of get into the mode where I, I don't want the horse, I just want him to do what I said to do. And then what you get sometimes is a horse that is very skilled in a particular sport or discipline. Let's say, for example, he's an excellent dressage horse. But when you go to load him in the trailer or if you take him on a trail ride, the horse essentially has a form of meltdown. Again, it doesn't necessarily mean like bucking or rearing, but the horse emotionally is just like, I, I just can't handle that because they haven't been learned to sort of think on their own until also when they're in doubt to turn to the person to turn to the rider and say, hey, I'm going to look you up first. I, I know you'll help me through this because I'm not, I'm not quite sure about it, but I know that you're sure and, I, and I'm sure about you. I'm sure about you as the rider. So that takes a lot more work, obviously, but I think it's always really worth it in the end and it's so much better for the horse. Uh, it's better for the horse to be able to feel like he's utilizing his mind where the horse is actually truly learning something instead of being given sort of a behaviorist cue. Uh, if I, if I make this sound or if I touch you with the spur that you automatically do that, you know, it comes more from a, a more three-dimensional sort of understanding, which again, I find preferable personally. 
What was especially interesting to me about witnessing that was how relatively quickly the horse changed. I mean, yes, it was a half hour and the horse was sort of agitating itself. He was kind of getting himself upset. The teacher wasn't making him upset. He was just sort of getting himself upset and the teacher was guiding him through that, letting him know that there was a a place for him to be on the other side of upset. Um, But again, half hour, 40 minutes, that horse was able to work through, again, with with the help of the very skilled teacher, a, a lifetime pattern that had been in place for probably about 10, 12 years in his life, which is a long time for a horse. Now, on the flip side, people also can get into habits of learned helplessness. And uh, this is often true in, in all walks of life, all different different types of things. I know plenty of people who are really competent in one area, but if you ask them to do something that's a little bit different, they essentially throw up their hands and say, no, I absolutely can't do that. I'm that way if you ask me to dance, for example, it's really not my skill area. I have a lot of learned helplessness around dancing. I think it goes back to some trauma from high school, uh, which is where most which is where most of my bad habits come from. But I also wanted to relate a story about a person I saw at a clinic who was also having trouble with learned helplessness himself. And uh, I've seen examples of this on and off at different clinics, and, and actually sometimes I have been the person. Uh, who, who I could point to in this scenario. But this particular example was especially compelling. Um, again, this was another very good teacher, another good clinician, very quiet, very matter of fact. And uh, the rider was, was a young man, maybe late teens. And he was on a, a high strung, I would say was a fair word, a high strung little mare who also was very opinionated. And uh, you could tell that this young man, all he really wanted was that horse to kind of like him and kind of go along with the program. So he was being very nice to the mare. But the mare, again, she was high strung, but she also was maybe a little bit uh, on the pushy side. And she wasn't really super interested or responsive to someone simply, quote, being nice to her. And by nice, I don't mean that he was uh, simply treating her kindly or with respect. Uh, what this young man wanted was basically the equivalent of, hey, I'm going to be really sweet and I'm not going to ask too much and you're going to reciprocate by being quiet and calm. And uh, and that's really not a good recipe for horses. <laughs> like they don't really perceive like social niceties or or whatever. They really are just sort of responding in the moment based on their temperament and nature on what they think is the right thing to do. And if they perceive that the rider is not perhaps uh, 100% sure or doesn't have a really strong plan for the ride, some horses are inclined to take over. And this mare fell into kind of the latter category. She was genuinely tight. She was genuinely a little nervous and concerned about things. But she perceived her rider as really not not really being helpful in the sense of giving her clear direction. So she was like, well, I'm just going to take over. I'm just going to, I've got my own plans about this. And so what she would do is she would kind of jig and jog and, and, and not want to travel very straight. And sometimes she would just balk. Other times she would almost act a little bit skittish. She would maybe skitter off to one side or the other, maybe do a little leap or hop. Didn't really see her buck or do anything, you know, super, what I would consider super like dangerous, but it was obviously not a pleasant ride. She probably felt like, you know, something like a coiled spring in a not good way underneath that rider. And the rider was getting upset. 
And again, this is a young man. This is a very nice young man. This is not someone who is mean or a jerk or spoiled or anything like that. He just really was having a lot of trouble coming up with a different strategy. He wasn't really understanding where the horse was coming from. And uh, so he kept asking the teacher and the teacher was like, well, you know, I think you might want to direct her feet a little differently, son, or, well, you know, what's happening when you ask her to move forward? Really, really think about that. And classic to most really good clinicians, he wasn't saying, you need to do this with your left rein, this with your right leg, and do these three or four maneuvers. He wanted the young man to learn it for himself, just like the teacher who was riding the war horse in my anecdote a few minutes ago. He didn't just try to bully and make that horse do it. He wanted the horse to learn and understand on its own volition what it was he was asking. And so this clinician with the young man and the mare was doing the same thing. He was trying to set it up so that the young man could find it. But the young man, for whatever reason, just could not hear. Again, he was probably late teens. Um, so I know technically that's a man. I always think of that as like kind of a very young man, though, kind of a teen boy. But he was an adult. And I, but I think he still had the emotions, the emotional framework, perhaps, of someone who was a little younger. You know, that's such a difficult age between high school and you know, post-college where you really are just sort of trying on this, this idea of being an adult. So, uh, he started to get more emotional and upset himself and, uh, things weren't working mostly because he wasn't really able to pay attention or really hear what the teacher was trying to tell him. And things just kind of escalated and got a little bit worse. And from the teacher's perspective, I think that he would say that the young man was experiencing learned helplessness himself. He could not just sort of stop and go outside his normal comfort zone, which was, I don't want to be perceived to be mean to this horse, or I don't really want to take charge here because that's something that I'm not comfortable doing. But the horse was really needing that from him. Again, by take charge, I don't mean bully or be rough. I mean, just be very clear and kind of stick to your guns, be consistent about what you're asking your horse to do and not be easily dissuaded if the horse wants to bluff with a little sidestep or jigging or, or acting tense. And the young man, of course, was also doing the classic thing with, that we all do at times when we feel uncomfortable and the ride isn't going well. And he tightened up too. He tightened up with his reins. He tightened up with his seat, which of course only exacerbated the situation for the horse. And at some point I kind of saw the teacher just I could almost see him make the decision. It's like this young man's going to have to find out on his own what the consequences are maybe for, for not trying to change. Again, the young man was a, a nice kid and everything, but he couldn't quite figure out how to try himself to try something new. And sure enough, um, I was, I was watching something else on the other end of the arena and I hear this shout and I look over and the young man is, is on the ground on his backside <laughs> holding the reins and the horse is kind of staring down at him. And, uh, and the horse had done something again, I think it was a, a little bit of a leap, maybe with a bit of a buck and I didn't see it. And the young man took a tumble and he was so upset that he left the clinic right then and there. He just left. He was upset with the horse. He was upset with the teacher. He was upset with himself. And, and he never allowed himself to, to try, you know, um, and in both cases, the case of the young man and the case of the war horse, when they were in that, that grip of sort of learned helplessness, what was happening was that they were actually putting in a lot more work in trying to stay in their cocoon 
than it would have been to actually just try to, to, to break that learned helplessness with a small try in the right direction. And that's the thing that's sort of ironic about learned helplessness is that it ends up taking so much more energy. It ends up taking so much more hard work than the thing that would take you a little bit outside your comfort zone and allow you to make a large step forward. Again, whether you're the horse or the rider. The other thing that I find really interesting about this is, of course, the horse was able to make the change. He had a very consistent teacher on his back who had excellent timing, who was a true horseman in every respect. And because of that, that was not something that worried the teacher. And he was able to ride that horse, even when the horse was extremely emotional and just be very calm. And he knew, he knew where it was going to go and it was going to go to a good place because the teacher was going to make sure of that. He was going to help that horse learn. He'd helped lots of horses learn similar things about learned helplessness. And, uh, and so that, that made all the difference and the horse learned. But in the case of the young man riding the mare, uh, it's a, a lot harder to teach people you know, you can't, you can't get on a person's back and direct them with your perfect timing like you can a horse if you're an excellent horseman. The people really have to work it out on their own and they have to listen to you. They have to be open to things. And of course, if they were open to things, they wouldn't have a situation of learned helplessness to begin with. So what was interesting to me is that that young man did not learn. He did not make a change. Um, and again, not because he was a bad person or a spoiled person, but because he could not break that pattern. He could not get out of his cocoon enough. He couldn't leave his comfort zone. To him, it felt so, I'm sure, uh, risky and horrible and terrible and like no way it could turn out well if he were to actually do what the clinician suggested or listen to some of the things the clinician was, was, was telling him about what to look for in the mayor. You know, the clinician never really said you should do these five things. He was sort of setting it up. He was giving the young man the respect he would give a horse that the young man would figure it out. And so that's, again, one of those areas where sometimes the horses, you know, they can change in a minute. They can change just like that, snap of the finger. If they have the right rider and they have someone who can release and give them just the right timing. But people need a lot more time and work and effort sometimes, and maybe multiple, multiple uh, failures before they really are able to perceive or have the awareness of what's really going on. We all kind of get stuck in our patterns and in our, our sort of loops is what I call them. We all travel in our loops. And I would just say the next time maybe you find yourself in a situation like that, whether it's on a horse or whether it's at your job or whether it's with your friends or your family, that you just stop for a minute and think about this podcast, think about learned helplessness and ask yourself, am I working really hard not to just open my mind and try something for a minute just to get outside my comfort zone? And I hope you'll have as good a result as, as the war horse did, Willie, with the teacher and the trainer. I'm going to be following up this podcast with a second part, which is about the opposite of learned helplessness. And that is the, the phenomenon of a horse that simply could not learn to turn loose at all. Very different situation, but in my mind, kind of linked between learned helplessness and, and a horse that can't turn loose. So I hope you stay tuned for that episode. And as always, I hope you have a wonderful day and thank you so much for listening.